Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello, I am Vivian Fernandez. Welcome to yet another interesting episode of CII Podcasts. In this episode, we are tracking India's labor reforms. India's labor regulatory environment has seen a step change. 29 central labor laws have been replaced by four codes. Fixed-term employment contracts have been introduced. The thresholds for establishments requiring government permission to lay off workers has been raised from 100 to 300 employees. Will these changes result in more jobs being created? Will the jobs be in the formal sector? Will they make it easier to do business? And what is the status of implementation of these four? To discuss these issues, we have with us Mr. Pradeep Bhargav, Chairman, Automotive Stampings and Assemblies, a company engaged in producing sheet metal components and welded assemblies. Mr. Bhargav has impressive credentials. He has worked with the Atomic Energy Commission, the Electronics Commission, Bharat Heavy Electronics or BHEL, Bharat Forge, Kalyani Sharp, GE Lighting and Cummins India. Mr. Bhargav is also co-chairman of CII's National Committee on Industrial Relations and a discussant with the government on labor reforms. Mr. Bhargav, welcome to this podcast and thank you for making the time. Thank you, Vivian. Look forward to the interaction with you. Mr. Bhargav, the Code on Wages was enacted in 2019 and those on industrial relations, occupational safety and social security were enacted in 2020. Uh, but ha- but have the rules been uh, notified? Uh, have these laws become operational yet? Okay, let me take you for a moment to understand the context behind 2014. It was when NDA 1 came to power. In 2014, the first draft of the four courts was put up in the public domain for people to opine. Between 2014 and 2019, large number of consultations were held with state governments, with unions, with trade representation like us, with everybody, tripartite, nine tripartite, I attended most of them, to arrive at a consideration and a consensus they could. Two parliamentary committees were set up to look at the laws. And the reason I'm saying this is that there is a huge amount of consultation that has taken place. So parliamentary com- uh, committees looked at it, they did public hearing. Lok Sabha and Rajasabha passed the laws in 2019 for wages, in 2020 for the other three courts. The Gazette notification after President Assent, as you rightly asked me, has been issued in September 2019 and September 2020. The question, have they been? No, they have not been made operational because A, it's a concurrent subject. In any case, any act, before it becomes operational, they have to issue what are called the rules. Rules are the ones who decide day-to-day conduct. Now these rules, draft rules have been put up on wages immediately after the act came in 2020. Uh, the other three acts have been put on the website, people's comments received. Since it's a concurrent subject, all the states have also got to do the same thing. They have to put their draft rules. The status as of today is of the 36 entities, including state government and union territories, wages, draft rules have been put up, not issued. Wages, uh, 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 Act 23 entities have done it. Social Security 19 have done it. Occupation, Health and Safety 15 entities have done. Industrial Relation 24, which means out of 36, this is the score. On 15 states, union territories have approved all the four laws, and 10 states, interestingly, women have not opined on any. It's a, it's a question now when central government and state government both have to issue rules in a particular state, then it becomes operational. 
Our hope is that central government will issue the rules within the course of February, March, because they are done, they've done with it. And those states which have passed the rules, not issued, just approved the rules, which they call the final draft rules. If they do it, my belief is, my belief is that at least two of these laws, which are less controversial, namely occupational health and safety and social security, may get passed in certain number of states which have passed the draft rules in April this year. So answer to your question, operationalization may start in April 2022 and by the time all the states so during the calendar year 2022 we are hoping all these world will become operational you were saying that you know, since 2012 this process has been going on 2014 and there has been a lot of large number of consultations opinions have been sought comments have been elicited so do you expect any kind of resistance uh, to these uh, laws uh, before they are uh, notified or do you think that it's going to be a smooth sailing from now on no, no, even today, uh, uh, this is not very uncommon, it's not only true for this. A lot of people have said enough consultation has not taken place after what I told you. Some people believe if their views are not accepted, it is no consultation. Consultation does not mean conceding. In a democracy, which are so everybody has been consulted and final view. Answer to your question is yes, state unions will object. Some state government will object. But that's life. That happens in case of a concurrent subject unlike others budget which you can pass so they will be pushed back but i think there is adequate reason for us to believe that enough consultation has been done and democracy about majority nobody has a veto so it should pass through and, and keep in mind why am i saying this so passionately because all these laws and rules women have dignity equity security built into it now you can't give them retrospectively so the sooner we make it operational the better it is for us as uh, as a as uh, entities to give these benefits to our workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, will they make life easier for our employers in terms of uh, fewer compliances and less intrusive and less frequent inspections? Absolutely, absolutely. Ease of doing business. It's, you know, when we call them labor laws, but forty percent of the labor laws have nothing to do with labor. I mean, there is, it's a misnomer to call them labor laws because when you, what files submit you do, what approval you get, what returns you make, what inspection procedure you have, and nothing to do with labor. So all those things which relate to interaction with the government, purely what you just raised as a compliance issue, has become much, much easier today. And what is interesting in these laws, beyond just the fact that they have simplified, rationalized, harmonized, made it electronic, they've also brought in concept of deemed approval they give you a time limit if no approval comes it is deemed approval they've accepted the fact that you can do third party insurance sometimes you wait for the government inspector to come and inspect now you can have an authorized uh, inspector to do it so really speaking all these elements of ease of doing business which we talk in the context of everything else they're going to make a big difference yes uh industry will be very happy incidentally so would the labor so it, uh, being easier to do business is not against the labor, it's part of the same game, you become a more efficient enterprise. So these third party inspections, will they apply, let's say, to the inspection of boilers and things yeah. like that? So government has come out with a mechanism, they will be third party who will be approved by the government. So government guys will go to those agencies and get them approved. Once they are in the approved vendor, then you as an industry can go to these approved inspection agencies whose certification is final of course within the reality is if there is a accident if there is a casualty then everybody will pile on to you which is all right but in normal course 
uh, you will have a much smarter saying, yes, these third parties have been approved even for safety related. In fact, mostly for safety. Okay. So one of the codes provides for fixed term contracts with yes. the same benefits like medical insurance and uh, provident fund as is applicable to permanent, uh, permanent workers. Yeah. Will it lead to more formalization as earlier employers were hesitant to take workers on their roles, fearing that they would not be able to remove them? Absolutely, I could take the liberty of saying to the CII audience at least, this is something that was conceived of by us within CII in consultation with trade union given to the government. This entire uh, concoction has been prepared by industry and trade union brought together. Yes, it will do. There are jobs, there are occasions when you have seasonality of business, there are project-oriented costs, time limit costs. There, the law of the land did not permit us to have anybody on our payroll for 240 days, otherwise he or she becomes permanent. Fixed-term employment is an extremely good concoction by which industry can take people for such finite assignments. At the end of the contract, there's no, nothing like a VRS or a termination contract, but the point that you made, these people during the period of their employment are like any other employee of the company, which means retirement, safety, uh, perquisites, whatever is entitled they get. So they are like a permanent employees for a finite period which is the flexibility industry wanted it is coming to. It's one of the best achievements uh, of this labor laws. So the employer, employers can now lay off workers if the establishments have less than 300 workers yeah. without taking government permission. Earlier, under the Industrial Disputes Act, yeah. permission had to be taken by establishments with uh, less than 100 workers. Yeah. Will this reassure employers sufficiently to expand their units rather than keeping them small? Absolutely right, but let's understand something basic. People don't set up industry to close them. Closing an industry is a is a very, very uh, extreme step. You normally don't plan on closing when you start. So you would in normal course hire 100, 200, 300, whatever is required. Whereas in this scenario, when and you know, please acknowledge today's life is very uncertain for industry as it is for any other enterprise with the technological changes, changing demands, competition, competitiveness, all sorts of things are leading us to a situation where we are not too sure. In such a situation, this 100 to 300 will make it much more comfortable. Keep in mind, nobody wants to do it. So this is a very good move of going to, and incidentally, even when it was 100, I'm not aware of very many approvals you people get for this. You know, even although the number says 100, but government sits on that, uh, approval to close for a long time. So this is the one of the extreme cases, but it's a good move. Sir, you know, workers are not laid off only when companies uh, get into bad days. Sometimes, you know, a business uh, diminishes and, you know, workers may have to be laid off. Sometimes you lay off workers because you want to improve your profitability, profitability and cut down costs. Yeah. Now, I remember the second Labor Commission of 2002 proposing yeah. graded compensation yeah. for laying off workers. For example, if you laid off workers because you know your company had to close down then of course a lower amount of compensation had to be given but let's suppose you downsized to, to cut down cost and improve your profitability then it said that workers should be given a higher compensation do these labor courts make have such a provision or no no right now they don't have there is only one thing called vrs uh, which is the same formula which is linked to the vintage of the employee in the organization if you have put 10 years, 15 years, number of years left. The other thing is uh, from what you just said when you want to shed for some time get it back then it's not one of those it's a two-way process maybe when the business picks up you may want to get them again. 
and you rather have the people who have experience in your organization given rather than getting new people so this is a bit tricky and sometimes that the law now uh, makes it almost imperative and so does the reality if you really want to shed people for improving the business you better pay enough give attractive enough we are as the limit set by the law are very small you know one month salary you can give more than they can do so that's a business call you can yeah and for establishments which have got a fluctuate which have got to adjust the fluctuating demand i suppose we have fixed uh, term contracts absolutely yeah yeah also oh, for example some contracts some people which are in project business particularly with they go through this sometimes project comes sometimes it doesn't come sometimes it comes at a location which is different from where you are so those are the yoyos of business where fixed term employment will be agreed sir but the workers representatives might argue that opting for fixed term contracts yeah workers who opt for fixed term contracts will have less bargaining power and they will settle for poorer terms and even hesitate to assert their rights against unfair labor practices so what thing that that will happen first of all who are we taking as ft FTEs are in view of contract workforce. FTEs are not in view of permanent workforce because if I want permanent workforce, I won't take fixed term employment. I'll take them and they'll be part of my uh, my organization. So, and that's what a lot of trade union salary. You won't take permanent employees. Forget about the term. You won't take. They said no. This is a substitute for contract workers. That's point number one. Point number two is contract workers. They have virtually no right. In fact, they have been completely disowned by the trade unions. and the contractor sometimes is invisible in this case during the period that they are no there is no compromise if there is a food allowance if there is a uniform allowance there is a safety thing they'll get it they will not get less than the permanent employee because they are on your payrolls so i don't think there can be a discrimination between a fixed term employee and i have have instances in the companies that i'm associated including cummins so fixed term employees and the regular employees are there as a case look at a situation today a permanent worker and a contract employee uh, when they stand next to each other oh this night and day uh, difference whereas a fixed term employee will have the same decorum that a permanent employee has so i think it's it's a great improvement mm-hmm. so this permanent workers tend to be better skilled because employers invest in their training right how with establishments having the flexibility to adjust their labor force according to the demands of the market Like, as well as opt for the fixed term contracts do you think they have a greater incentive to invest in training and this will improve the general skill level of workers in the country absolutely even if i have permanent employees who are very well skilled even as you said fact is that skill may or may not be relevant for me in the next 3 years i am automobile company a component manufacturer process the, 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 the technology has made the skill requirements so fast changing that even if somebody has a skill that skill may not be relevant a cnc machine and sdm machine versus a robot controlled machine are very different skill so to me uh, the ability to skill and reskill and upskill and deskill some cases is a continuous phenomena it's true for a fixed term employee it's true for a permanent employee it's true for a temporary employee so i think on the skill grid answer to your question is yes we all have to skill ourselves constantly irrespective of the color and the of the color skilling is for everybody mm-hmm. so even though we were a labor we are a labor surplus country yeah. we have been tending we have tended to be capital intensive we have invested more in machines as a substitute for workers because we think that you know 
uh, if you have more workers, you have got more headache. Now, you think that with the flexibilities that these codes introduce, will we be going for more labor-intensive manufacturing? Two reasons will make it happen. One is, of course, a flexibility that I don't raise. They are not my fixed asset. They are an asset which is really going to come and do, but they are valuable assets all the same. So flexibility will give you. Secondly, certain uh, industries which require, which are labor-intensive in any case, garment-making and stuff like this. So there is no, no substitute of machines. Robots are not going to be stitching garments at least for some more time. And so on. So I think those areas, you're absolutely right. India had lost out, not within India, had lost out to Bangladesh elsewhere because we were shy of hiring 10,000 people, 15,000 people and so on. So with the new mechanisms of fixed-term employment, new mechanisms of, of incidentally, incidentally, with the new labor laws are going to give even for temporary workforce, whose primary responsibility will come under the principal employer, all the social security that they today are we are choosing to ignore. You know, all social security will come to them. So even hiring them will be a, a thing because good for the workers and you'll have more, more people. I don't think we'll shy away from labor intensive. We shouldn't be a sad day for India if we don't want to get into labor intensive. We have enough people. So you think that all those uh jobs that went to Bangladesh or Vietnam in the textile sector because of, because of uh, higher wages in China and these government manufacturers shifting base to these other countries that is Bangladesh and Vietnam, some of them might come even to India. Yeah, and, and the reason will not be just the labor laws, reasons will be the other infrastructure and everything else that goes into making and being attractive. The turnaround speed, ease of doing business, labor laws are one of them. Uh, a person comes to and sets up an enterprise based on multiple factors. This has been an irritant to put it in either form that uh, I don't know. You know, some of the things that are happening in uh, in electronic appliances and electronic goods now, cell phone is one of those where we found a large number of people. But nowhere close to Bangladesh and China. Okay. Now, sir, in the last three decades of the last century, Strikes and lockouts were very common. You know, there was a lot of industrial uh, unrest. The new code requires 14 days notice to be given for strikes and lockouts. Yeah. Conciliation will start immediately. And if conciliation fails, the dispute will be referred to a tribunal, which will have 60 days. And during those these proceedings, conciliation as well as tribunal proceedings, there can be no strike or lockout. Now, in correcting the earlier excesses, don't you think that the code has swung the other extreme? See, uh, I, here I have a very strong view. It's not a bilateral arrangement anymore. If I'm making an item which is required by a consumer or a customer, if I'm making a medical device, for example, or I'm making a tubing for a medical device, forget it. I go on strike. People will say it's between employer and employee. But you going on strike, you're going to disturb public life. Because there is a certain connectivity, and particularly in today's day of supply chain, how they are connected thing. I am going one step further, even lockout cannot be unilateral. Now forget about strike. But the moment you decide to go for a lockout, whatever the valid reason, and you do it for indefinite period, you're just not telling, conveying a message to each other. You're conveying a message to a larger society, which is vulnerable. And so I think this whole socially responsible business, if I were to use that big word for it, that you as a contributor in goods and services 
and forget one of the days of essential service every day is essential didn't we realize in lockout time that milk was essential bread was essential others we used to think only few things are essential in today's life i think the impact it has on rest of the society which is mute which has no say in your bilateral negotiation so i think compressing this both for lockout and strike is right for the larger society is my suggestion so the strikes and lockouts they affect not only the employees and the employers but also the larger supply chain i mean the disrupt the entire supply chain absolutely and the society finally i mean ultimately supply chain goes to a product ultimately so so i think it's a sin in my opinion lockout and strikes so the code on industrial relations says that a union with 51% membership will be considered to be the sole negotiating union failing which there will be a negotiating council to which members with at least 20% membership will be invited now what will happen if unions do not have 20% let's suppose they have just a large number of unions they have just 10% so i mean what will happen then but that's one question the other question is you know whether these provisions will yeah. this will this incentive incentivize the multiplicity of unions uh, which was the bane of the industrial uh, industrial um, you know space uh, in earlier times uh you know it's is something which will cut on both sides look at it like this consider this to be shareholding in a company or a members of parliament of a political party you can't ultimately have in in any negotiation if there is somebody is not a representative how valid is that negotiation in a conclusion there are shareholders in a company but they authorize the board of directors or the board to speak on their behalf on any issue similarly the workforce through union has to have a representative body and that's why this 51% came with this majority it applies everywhere including democracy now if you have multiplicity of union and they of course put restrictions as to who can be registered you can be registered recognized as a whole process on that i think it will lead to fragmentation of even their power collective negotiation if you are not connected together like an alliance and a political party if you don't have a common minimum program you struggle and i'm not bringing the energy just with echo it i'm saying you're representing a workforce but the decision will be common it will be applicable to all so if you have far too much diversity in your in your opinions it will not be possible for anybody including management to reach so this is aimed at trying to seek the convergence and and or at least they can at least for the purpose of representation it can't be everybody it it breaks the purpose of of uh, final conclusion and binding of that conclusion now these codes also make provision for uh, unorganized workers for gig workers for platform workers there are, you know this provision for a social uh, welfare fund hmm. uh, for gig workers to be set up with contributions <coughs> from central and state governments as well as from aggregators like zomato swiggy yep. uber and so on that's a good move actually bringing uh, gig workers within the ambit of uh, social welfare uh, legislation it's excellent i was just talking to the ilo people half an hour before our call came through and they are struggling with the same concept of platform workers and there are eu and us are all giving different decisions 
as to are these gig workers employee of the principal organization or are they just contractors are they partners now whatever may be the dispute between whether those people are employees there is a need frankly speaking for social security in our country because the the reserves we have are limited and hence these people can't be left completely on their own so i think it's a very good move contribution will have to come certainly from the aggregators who are the beneficiary see it's easy for us to say if there is a security agency which is giving security to my company is a third party i should be responsible because i'm directly benefiting a pizza delivery guy is delivering pizza to multiple people so nobody will own him or her so i think aggregator state and central government have to do it it's a very very wonderful move because this biradri this clan of gig and platform workers is going to go into this why not make you know uh, consumers also liable or uh, obliged to contribute a small amount for example if i order a pizza yeah. maybe your contribution of 50 paise or 1 rupee or if yeah. i hail a taxi from uber or ola make a small contribution so that you know small contribution can become very big in the aggregate because i think all of us owe a responsibility to these gig workers we just cannot leave them to the vagaries of the market you're absolutely right how do you package it if you put it as one more tax people will be think if an aggregator is charging certain percentage of the commission from the supplier he or she can earmark certain amount for these people and contribute see today even maid servants people are not willing to acknowledge as their responsibility you know they said she works at 10 people why should i pay for the pm you know even though there is a direct context so pizza delivery for a consumer to phone up is a going to be challenge however aggregator can increase that amount to be able to uh, contribute you are absolutely right aggregator needs some somewhere he can charge it as part of his tariff so these codes also provide for uh, social security for uh, interstate migrant workers who earn less than 18000 rupees a month yeah for example they can avail of uh, ration grey Yeah. either in the state of employment or in their uh, native state yeah. there is also provision for uh, re- uh, maintaining a database yeah. of them i mean the central and state governments have to maintain a database and yeah. the migrants can also uh, self register and they are yeah. entitled to benefits out of the building and construction cess absolutely but you know is this cess this building and construction uh, cess is collected and i think there is an enormous corpus but i think very little benefits actually flow to the workers True, very true. This is really happening in some of the cess collected, including what we when we travel on the road, we pay certain cess. Even that, for the improvement of the road, is not happening. So there is some blockage in the machinery which collects the cess and passes on to the right beneficiary, but they need to get it. What is also this is going to be migrant worker by very definition require portability, a portability of their things. You know, if I'm somewhere, can I get Ayushman Bharat? facility in some other state can i use esi dispensary elsewhere so this um, uh, thing is absolutely in order building fund not being utilized i am personally not privy to it but i believe i hope and i pray that it goes to the beneficiary sooner you know just look at ishram portal as we speak today 25 crores 66 lakhs people have been put on that portal so at least we have traceability and quantum formalization of the labor market to that extent so we know who these beneficiaries are 
uh, if each one of them gets rushed and get Ayushman Bharat, get other benefits in ASI dispensing, it would be a long way. Otherwise, they're totally, totally left to the open sky, which they actually live in under. Mm-hmm. Sir, you know, at my level, I tried to uh, register our society plumber, the electrician and security guards on the Eastram portal. Now, this portal, you know, requires three things. The workers yeah. must have Aadhaar card, they must have a bank account and the Aadhaar card must be um, uh, linked to their mobile phones so that they can get an OTP. Yeah. Now, I found that with the workers, they have an Aadhaar card, okay, but it's not linked to the mobile. Or they might have a bank account, but the bank account is dormant. So, you know, despite the good intentions of the government, we have, you know, operational difficulties. True. But here, so then those need to be sorted out. Those need to be sorted out, you know, before um, if uh, the benefits are actually going to, uh, going to flow to the workers. Vivian, the multiplicity of codes, uh, you know, how many identity do I have and should there be one one nation, one identity? Philip, you are absolutely right. These are technology driven. I hope that since these are all technology driven, there would be possibility of putting it together. But um, look at workers itself, they are 40 crores workers. Out of which they have been able to put 25 crore at least on that. So it means we have come some distance of this. Yes, there are issues, you're absolutely right. But at least we are moving in the right direction of at least qualifying being able to do that. It's a challenge, you're right. It's not only for labor part, this connecting of all this is a major challenge for us, but I'm sure we'll get over it. Yes. Uh, now this code provides for uh, compounding of offenses where the punishment is the imprisonment for up to one year and the compounded amount will be 50% of the maximum prescribed fine. I mean, workers might say that uh, this might encourage violations because uh, compounding and uh, employers might think, you know, that they can get, get away lightly. So the other extreme of what any triviality you would go into and there have been lots of articles coming which talk about for anything that you do, you don't even know that you're liable on criminal offence and imprisonment for God knows anything. So that was the one swing. This still is, let's keep in mind the reputational risk of of an organisation and its executive is a very high thing. Mm-hmm. So that I've been put under a criminal offence by itself is a big reputation, it costs much more than a lot. So I think this is basically aimed as a disincentive, not even a disincentive, it's aimed as a be cautious here, go through it three times that you're not doing anything which is, I mean, frankly speaking, uh, I, I, I belong to a different school. If I've taken EPF reduction from an employee and bill and not transferred it to PF commissioner, I think it's criminal for me. I've taken your money in good faith and not putting it to PF and I've used it for something which a lot of employers did. Now, will you say, is this criminal? I think it's criminal. Your breach of faith, you've done something which you should be doing as a worker. You're so sometimes we can say, I just didn't submit 2 lakh rupees and you're calling it criminal. Of course it's criminal. It's again a perception. However, they've diluted many other things where intent uh, wasn't there, but it's more by acts of commission. Those they have removed out of it. But acts of commission, Vivian, we have to acknowledge them in every walk of life be it uh, in labor laws or be it in financial things, omission is different from a conscious commission. That's right. So basically they're saying that, you know, if a punishment is less than one year, then maybe those offenses are not so grave. 
and that is why you can uh, compound them. Yeah, compounding is easy. Yeah. And finally, sir, do you think that these courts uh, comply with our covenants with the International Labour Organization? You just mentioned that yeah. you had a conversation with an ILO representative. What yeah. are they saying about these courts? Yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, I've been part of the. I've been led the employer delegation to in ILC. I was part of the negotiation team of ILC this time on behalf of employers of all over the world. I think, and I shared with them. In fact, I wanted to put it across. Yes, they are very much in line. Decent workplace, uh, which is uh, SDG eight, which is what we are talking about. Uh, minimum work, labor, work uh, minimum wages very much part of that uh, so social uh, the uh, safety very much part of that virtually everything gender equality which is part here everything is aligned to that in fact if anything uh, we have uh, some more distance to cover thank you uh, in in terms of being able to not only just comply but we need to be doing better than others which is what we are in that so i would in all these cases i just want to conclude on a somewhat of an emotive wording to feel free you know these laws these are doing business economic growth employer 100 300 all that is nice but for the first time we been this laws have acknowledged 80% of workforce which is not acknowledged in the earlier migrant temporary contract workers gig workers were not even acknowledged so here's something nice about this uh, legislation that they included it this legislation used to be extremely manufacturing centric you know this time they've included mining plantation transportation all the services who are outside the cargo so if you look at the band of uh, category of people and the band of industry this is truly a labor law so far we were looking dealing with organized workforce in manufacturing industry and lived on it for 40 years 100 years so it it is in that sense a very very thing and we as employers i as a cim member all of us should whole heartedly support it and something that i'm not very popular with saying but i would again like to convey to my members you don't have to wait for these rules to be issued can you not start paying minimum wages to your contractor workers can you not ask them to give an appointment letter can you not ensure that they get worthy and safety equipment can you not ensure that if an accident takes place why do you have to wait for the law to happen these are basic human dignity and uh, i would say professional integrity we don't have to wait for the law so my colleagues in industry should on the one hand of course do everything that the new law says but there is a much bigger law operating which says a law of dignity and humanity which these labor laws are affecting but we we don't have to wait for notifications is my old fashioned view and you are saying that if you go out of every way to be nice to the employees they will pay back in uh, terms of uh, greater higher productivity and more diligence at the workplace yeah even if i want to have a business case for being decent there is a business case i think you said it yes they will if you take care of them they will acknowledge it if those people migrant workers who were taken care of during covid by companies uh, projects who took care of them those guys didn't go anywhere they came back to them while others were struggling so there is a business case plus there is a continuity then we in industry are struggling with continuity in this category of workforce every day a new man comes i've run factories for 40 years they have no connects with you so it's a business case for me for continuity which means quality which means productivity 
which means efficiency. And all these things don't cost you anything. They are something that you would do as a human being. Giving somebody a personal protection equipment, is this a favor? You're ready to give it to your permanent workforce and contract worker working on the same machine, you don't give it. So these are <laughs> not issues which uh, require a debate, they require uh, not even a heart, they require mind. You're saying that these four courts, they are a big tent that embraces a lot of workers who are otherwise left out and they also introduce much uh, required correctives. So on that note, Mr. Bhargav, thank you very much for sharing your insights. It was good talking to you and all the best. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Vivian, for being a patient listener. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.